I'm Audrey Cooper, the editor-in-chief of the San Francisco Chronicle, and today I get to speak with Joshua Cosman, our classical music critic. We recorded this just before opening night of the San Francisco Symphony. Now, this symphony season is notable because it will be the last with longtime musical director Michael Tilson Thomas. We talk about what MTT, as he is known, has brought to the San Francisco Symphony and what the future holds. But most importantly, Joshua will give first-time symphony attendees some tips about enjoying your first performance. That's next on Fifth Emission. Joshua Cosman, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. Glad and to be happy here. opening day. I know. It's exciting, right? Yeah. Was, we're taping this on the first day that the symphony season is is opening, and that's always a very exciting time for you, a exact, busy season. Exactly. So um, why don't we start by you explaining what your job is here? <laughs> what what do you do all day? Uh, so I'm the classical music critic for the San Francisco Chronicle, which means that I have the uh, obligation and the uh, privilege of covering all the classical music events that happen in San Francisco and in the Bay Area. That's opera, symphony, string quartets, piano recitals, contemporary music, old ancient music, anything that goes on around here. Uh, I get to go and... Hear, listen to it and uh, write about it for and, the readers, and tell people whether it's worth seeing or not. Exactly, exactly. And you know, I people often ask me, like, "Well, the critics—they have such a good job; they just get to show up and say what they think about things." But you put a lot of work into researching what you're going to see, and a lot of thought into um, how to review something. So, can you explain to us, like, what makes something good, in your opinion? Can you say that? <laughs> Um, that's a good question. And the answer is it's kind of like pornography. I don't – I can't define it, but I know it when I see it. And well, here, that is something well, we do not have a critic doing no, on I know. staff. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just channeling uh, – was it Potter Stewart? Was that the Supreme Court justice? Who, maybe that's not the best analogy. <laughs> no, the point no, is, it works. The point is that, you know, if you go into a – if you go into a performance with some presupposition about what it's supposed to be or how it's supposed to go and how the how this – piece is supposed to be heard or how this play is supposed to be done, you're in a you're entering a world of hurt for yourself and for the artists and for your readers. The idea is to go in with, you know, an open mind and a and a sense of like, I don't know what you're gonna do with this piece of of with this symphony or with this string quartet, but sell me on your interpretation of it. Convince me that this is the way the piece should go or a way the piece should go. And what I think is so uh, unique about about your talent is to be able to take something that's music and then translate it into words is a really challenging thing. And you do it on very tight deadlines, too. <laughs> well, thanks for that. I mean, the thing that I try and always remind people and keep in mind myself is that I am doing something professionally that anyone who goes to any kind of cultural event does on an amateur basis all the time. It's absolutely no different. And I always tell people like when you go to a concert or you go to a, a play or you go to a sporting event and somebody afterwards says, well, you went to that. How was it? And you tell them you're doing arts criticism. And so what makes you so special? You've been doing this for how many years now? I've been doing this for 35, 30 years at the Chronicle and about five years before that. And that's all that makes me special. Other than that, I'm just... <laughs> you're just a regular guy. I'm just a regular a, guy with a, a bunch suit. of opinions. Yeah, good. So, so today, the opening of the symphony, um, 
Sam, I, I don't. I think a lot of people who don't go to symphonies a lot might not know. Um, you know, some cities have a lot of cities have symphonies. Mm-hmm. Only a few have really excellent symphonies. So, put the San Francisco Symphony in the context of American symphonies in all different cities. Oh, that's a great question. Well, it is. It is now. I would say one of the great American orchestras. That didn't always used to be true. Um, there was a time when. It was kind of a second-tier regional orchestra. Um, there's a there's a, way, a a catchphrase that you still hear sometimes about American orchestras that's called the Big Five. People say the Big Five orchestras are the ones in Boston, New York, Philadelphia, Cleveland, and Chicago. And that was true like in the middle of the 20th century. Even then, it was kind of a little bit dicey, but that became a common catchphrase. And it's taken people a long time to figure out, well, wait a minute – the San Francisco Symphony, the L.A. Philharmonic, the Seattle Symphony, the Houston Symphony, uh, all of these are are very much – the Baltimore Symphony to some extent – are all very much you know, on a par with those classic orchestras. Um, a lot of that happened actually in the last 35 years I want to say, um, which is to say – 10 years that uh, Herbert Blumstedt was the orchestra, uh, was the music director of the San Francisco Symphony, and now the past 25 years under Michael Tilson Thomas. That's been an incredible flowering uh, of the San Francisco Symphony, uh, not just artistically and organizationally, but in terms of its reputation and standing. So there have been, you know, people making a case at certain points that, you know, between San Francisco and Los Angeles, I would say, you know, the 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 center of gravity artistically has shifted to uh, the West Coast, at least in the world of orchestras. That's really interesting. And and so do you credit you, you mentioned Michael Tilson Thomas or MTT as he is going to be referenced because it's easier. Uh-huh. How much credit does MTT get for that transition? A, a great deal, an enormous amount. Um it's always important to say he was building on the, you know, what was left to him when when Herbert Bloomstedt came in in 1985. This was a good, solid, okay orchestra. It was doing some good stuff, and and he brought in a kind of um, uh, technical uh, concern and and trying to like make everybody play in tune. You know, and, <laughs> that's but, a radical well, idea. <laughs> you know, I'm exaggerating a little yeah. bit, but it was kind of like, all right, the first thing we're going to do is we're going to really shape up and really make this a first-rate orchestra. And he did that, and he spent 10 years kind of doing that, and and the, just the technical level of execution got much better. And then he went away, and Michael T.T. came in and said, okay, well, what are we going to do with that? What kinds of artistic adventures can we have with, you know, it was like somebody tuned up the car, and now he says, well, now we're going to drive it to some places that we haven't been before. And hugely broadened the uh kind of music that was being done um, to include a lot of American music, a lot of uh, unusual repertoire that people hadn't been doing here before. Um, and, and what's an example of that? So the big example, I mean, the sort of the splashy example was the first year that he came in, which was 1995, uh, he said, okay, check this out. Every program that I conduct all this season is going to have a piece of music on it by an American composer. That doesn't sound like it should be that revolutionary, but it was because the world of orchestras is still kind of mired in the 
19th century European tradition. Mm -hmm. I don't want to say mired, but I mean, it, we like that tradition. It's right. okay. But. Well, we like to hear things that we recognize too. Exactly. It's kind of exciting when they get to that part in this, in a performance and you're like, oh, I, I recognize right. that part. Exactly. So there was, so he was kind of mixing it up and he was also making a very important point, which is it's time to take this tradition, you know, away from the old world, away from Europe and try and see what we can do with it in a purely American way. And he had a reputation coming in of being a champion of American music. And he put that right on the line in the first season. And so now he's been the um, the creative force behind the symphony for 25 years. How unusual is it to have one person in such a key role for such a long time? It is it's a good question. It's an amazingly rare thing. It happens very often, very, uh, excuse me, very seldom. There have really only been a handful of examples in America of conductors and orchestras that have worked together for so long, for 25 years. And the interesting thing, even more than that, is almost all of those examples are negative examples. They're examples of why you don't want someone to hang around for that long because it gets things get stale, things get stagnant. It becomes a little political fiefdom where, you know, people want to get them out, but they can't. And it just more often than not, it kind of turns sour. Um, so the amazing thing to me about Michael's 25 years with the symphony has been, you know, not only, yay, 25 years, that's good, but also that it hasn't, you know, gone bad the way these things usually do. He's still kind of coming up with new ideas and new directions and take things. And there's still a, a, you know, a sense of liveliness and adventure around it. Today is the beginning of the season, and it's notable because it's going to be MTT's last season in this role. So what do you think the last season, what is that going to be like? Well, I think we're going to see a lot of, of sort of summing up of, of the strands of his, uh, his time here. Uh, one of them has been, of course, he's just – he's uh, been conducting a lot of Mahler over the years. Mahler has been perhaps the most notable – recognizable trademark of his time here that every year we get one or two or sometimes more Mahler symphonies on the program. So we've got um, uh, the sixth symphony coming up in about two weeks. And then um, the eighth symphony is going to happen at the end of the program. And that's a sort of a through line for his entire tenure here. Uh, we've got fully staged, semi-staged opera production coming at the end of the year, which is something that he's been uh, pioneering. Um, and we've got uh, a, a number of new pieces, contemporary pieces, American pieces, just to kind of give a sense of the, the range and scope of his programming. One thing we talked a lot about last year is the need to make uh, the symphony not as white-centric. And what I, what I really enjoy about going to the symphony is I feel like they've done a really good job of trying to get a diverse audience. It's not just, you know, 60-year-old plus people with gray hair and like wanting to see the traditional stuff. They You see younger people in there. And certainly tonight with the gala, you see a pretty wide array of, uh, of people that I think you didn't necessarily see a few years ago. They, there's still a lot of work to do. But what needs to happen even more in 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 symphonies here and elsewhere to make it more diverse, both in terms of the pieces that are being uh, performed and also how to get new people coming into the seats? So those are, those are actually related questions. I think one of the things that's very important for getting people in to the audiences is 
livening up the programming and making sure that uh, the music that gets performed is not always sort of written by white male and almost always dead folks. So that means contemporary pieces and and a livelier, more diverse offering in terms of the repertoire. Um, Honestly, that's something that the San Francisco Symphony under Michael T.T. has been a little lax about, I think, laggardly. Um, even even at the, at his most adventurous, Michael's tastes tend to go towards you know white male composers. And um, one of the things that I think has been heartening about uh, looking forward now to his successor, if I can turn that turn our gaze into the future, about Essa Pekka Salonen, the Finnish composer who's going to be taking over in next year, is that one of the first things he did was he said. I am a 60-year-old white guy. I don't have my finger on the pulse of what's going on necessarily. I need help. And he assembled uh, this core, this cadre of artistic advisors, mostly younger, uh, ethnically and and, uh, generally diverse, um, to kind of feed him information. Because, you know, if you're traveling around the world conducting Beethoven, you're not always, you don't always have your finger on the pulse of what's going on. Uh, in the water, broader world, rather. Um, so that's one. And of course, the other thing is just to make sure that that the that the symphony as an organization puts a face forward to the community that is, you know, not forbidding, not uh, to use a overused term, elitist, but doesn't give the sense of like this is a thing that we know how to do, and you can join in if you know how to behave it's like you know no this is this is the the great secret about the orchestral world and about classical music in general that people still don't always ne- necessarily know which is everybody's welcome you can walk in we don't care how you dress we don't care you know we don't care how much or how little you know just come and have a good time i it, it it's kind of adorable and also kind of sad sometimes when i see at the symphony, I see, you know, young couples who are on date night and have never been before. And I always think it's I, I love that you're overdressed. I love that you think this is, you know, elegant night on the town. That's great. Love it. But, you know, you didn't have to do that. You could have come in your jeans and we would have loved to seen you in Davies Hall. Sometimes just as it's much. fun to dress up. It Don't is, be a Scrooge. It is. No, 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 no. I'm not. No, I no, I love it. But it you, makes my heart. You just think that there's a certain people that might be an inhibition for people yes, wanting to yes, come in. If you yes. feel like you have to wear a ball gown and a tuxedo every time, maybe that would discourage exactly, people. Exactly. Exactly. So before we move on to the new um the the new artistic director coming in. One more thing about MTT. When, whenever I see him out and about in the community, I think he's one of the um, sort of um, maybe I almost want to call him a local celebrity <laughs> because he has that charisma. He's been there so long. He's brought a sort of show business um, flair to the symphony too. How important has that been for the symphony? Oh, it, it's hugely important. I think that's exactly right. And and it's it's been it's been wonderful and and extremely valuable to have him living here in San Francisco and going to the you know you can run into him in the in the food the farmers market or wherever you know he kind of walks around town and does his thing and um 
but at the same time, you're right. There's a showbiz quality to him, which he comes by naturally. Remember, his grandfather was like – his grandparents, both of them were, you know, celebrities of the Yiddish theater in the in the early part of the 20th century. And he has – and he grew up in Hollywood. So he, you know, he knows how to, you know – Put on a show. Put on a show. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So we see him, you know, with the the – Baton. Mm-hmm. Is that what we call yes. it? The, the baton? You can see I'm clearly not an expert. And directing the orchestra. Is that is that what he does all day? What is what is the new uh, guy going to do? Do they just sit up there? And, you mean stand up there and yeah, wave, do, so wave that's, the wand? Yeah, you know, it's a good question. And people say, like, how hard could that be? You yeah. Know, be I, I always feel like I could probably do that. Right. I cannot because I cannot keep a beat. But it seems like it would be easy. It's a good it, – yeah. I mean the thing that people – don't always realize is when you see the the conductor up there beating the step, you're seeing the very tip of the iceberg of what the job is. And all the the hard work has been in the preparation and the rehearsals and getting you're getting a hundred and five people to watch everything you do and play all together and not not just play the same note at the same time in the same with the same phrasing, but like Everybody knows where we are in the piece and where we're going to next. And, you know, think about a, 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 a piano player, you know, playing solo. That person has all the thoughts going on in their heads, in their head. It's all with them. Now try and spread that out over 105 people so that everybody is thinking the same. Everybody is, you know, it, it's, you know, it's like. It's like 10 baseball teams all, all you know, executing the triple play at the same time. As somebody who tries to get a few hundred people to do something in unison every okay, day, yeah. I have a certain level of appreciation okay, so you, for so this you, job. Absolutely. <laughs> it's not as easy as just standing up front and waving the wand. So, so the new musical director, Eska Pekka Salonen, mm-hmm. that announcement that he was coming on board was really pretty exciting for people who are fans of the symphony. Can you tell us why? Yeah, because we, I mean, we didn't think he was in the market for another uh, music director job. He had been the music director at the LA Philharmonic for 17 years. He was one of the great American conductors. Uh, He turned that, he made that orchestra into something really special. And then he said, you know, okay, I've done that. I'm 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 done. He was he's got a a big side, not a side gig. He's a he's got a major uh, career as a composer and he wanted to concentrate on his composing. And he said, you know, I've done that. I'm walking away. And when it came time for the Sim- San Francisco Symphony to start looking around for a successor, and everybody thought, well, who is out there? There's this one, there's this one. And everybody was kind of like, you know. Maybe other people than me thought Esapaka was in the running, but I sure didn't. Like I had interviewed him about a year earlier, and I said, "What when when there was an opening at the New York Philharmonic, and and people were thinking, oh, maybe they'll get Esapaka." And he said, "You know, I'm just not interested." And I wrote this article saying, "Like, sorry, New York, he's not coming." And everybody was, like, oh, boo hoo hoo. And so the idea that he would actually get back in the saddle um, and kind of do his magic a second time was really thrilling and completely out of left field. And so, you know, it's it's a kind of a testament in a way to the San Francisco Symphony and the management and the musicians of that orchestra that they made it so appealing to him to, you know, it was a get. You know? I, I get it. That's a good way of putting it. So what are the challenges 
that, you know, with MTT taking the symphony as far as he had and being such an incredible impact on symphonic orchestra in San Francisco and, and the West Coast, as you point out, what is there that needs to be done to take it into the next level, to take it to the next level? Well, I think one of the things that has to happen is is to kind of reimagine <clears throat> how an orchestra can work in the 21st century. Um, you know, the symphony under Michael has been a really top-notch example of the traditional paradigm of how an orchestra works, right? We have uh, a, a subscription concert program every week, and we do, the, you know, the standard kinds of programming, and we have a special festival every once in a while, but it's all kind of basically on the traditional familiar model. And one of the th interesting things for me about Espekasalan and coming in is that he has made it very clear he wants to really blow that model up, not into smithereens maybe, but, you know, kind of take it apart and reassemble it and see, well, which parts of those can we keep and which parts should we rethink completely? So, you know, the the thing I mentioned earlier about his assembling this cadre of artistic advisors is one thing. He has said a lot of a lot of the season is is likely now to be sort of mini festivals where three or four concert programs focus on a particular theme or a particular uh, tradition or a particular composer, a particular musician. And just kind of re reshuffling the the way that the, the uh, organization works. So the final question I have for you is: if if there are people listening to this who have never been to the symphony, why should they go? And what are you looking? What should they be looking for when they go? They should go because this is music that can be at its best, you know, unbelievably exciting and dynamic and beautiful and surprising and full of imagination and verve. And there's, you know, you don't have to know all the all the backstory. You don't have to know all the all the, you know, uh, history of it or what's going on. It It, it is m music that works at a certain level. The first time you hear it and, you know, just sort of plunge right in. And then if you dig it, you can kind of keep coming back and exploring more and finding the parts that you like and the parts that you don't like. Um, you know, it's like anything else. I always say, you know, there's going to be some parts of it that, you, that, that speak to you and some parts that don't. And you find the ones that you like and you stick with those and you uh, put the other ones on hold for another day. Well, and also after you go to your first symphony, you can read your write-up about <laughs> what you thought of it. And I, I honestly think it always makes me feel smarter when I'm challenged by a critic like you or any of our other critics. Um, when I see a performance and then I see somebody's other point of view, it, I think it gives you a better appreciation of art. And we have a lot of great art in San Francisco. So, yeah. so well, we'll have That's, to That is exactly the goal. Yeah, and and great criticism also I think creates great art because we're holding them to a standard too. Exactly. So Thank you so much. Um, I could talk about this forever, but we have a gala to get to, and we need to get in our fancy clothes. So, Joshua Cosman, thank you very much. Thanks, Audrey. Thanks so much. Thanks to Joshua Cosman for being with me today. You can read his reviews at sfchronicle.com, and while you're there, sign up for a subscription so you can see all of them as soon as they're published. Thank you to King Kaufman for producing this episode today, and thanks to all of you for listening. 
Fifth and Mission is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. If you like this show, we'd love it if you'd subscribe to it wherever you get your podcasts. And if you've got a minute to give us a quick review, that helps us build our audience so we can keep growing. You can support Fifth and Mission and the newsroom that creates it with a subscription to the San Francisco Chronicle. There are print and digital editions. Find out more at sfchronicle.com slash subscribe.